Hello, church. As you know, we weren't able to meet on Sunday, and therefore we missed out on hearing from God's word from Romans chapter 13. And so we wanted to put a recording up so you'd have the content of that chapter as you continue to work through the book of Romans with us. We'll start Romans 14 next week, so make sure that you're there for that. But for now, let's look at Romans chapter 13. I'll read the whole chapter for us. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. May God help us to understand this, his most precious word. What do, we, what do we do with a text like this? A text that begins, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Right, the, the first seven verses of Romans 13 have been very troubling to me throughout my adult life. I think that if there's a single passage of scripture that could make me just throw in the towel on following Jesus, it'd be this one. And not just because I don't like what it says or I have problems with authority, both of which may well be true, but because it seems so very contradictory to so much else I see in Scripture, and even seems contradictory to the rest of the book of Romans. Right? It's hard to read, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, and then, and then read the story of Shipra and Pua, the noble midwives of Exodus 1, or to read the story of Moses' parents refusing Pharaoh's orders, or frankly, the entire story of the Exodus. And, and all of the judges who in each case stood up in rebellion against the governing authority. 
And certainly we could remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused the king's order, or their friend Daniel, who seemed to flaunt his disobedience by praying in front of an open window. All four of them are protected by God and celebrated even to this day for disobeying what Romans 13 seems to say. And we could add to that list many of the prophets, perhaps most notably Elijah, and then also the apostles, particularly Peter and John, who confronted the authorities with these words, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And of course, who who can forget Paul? the very writer of this text, and most importantly, our Savior Jesus Christ himself, who often disobeyed authorities, resulting even in his death at their hands. So I struggle with this verse. I I struggle with it because even the book of Romans seems to be saying something different. Romans, which begins with the words, Paul, a servant of Christ, seems to spend way more time talking about us as citizens of the kingdom of God and the implications of that reign in our life. I mean, for the past two weeks, Bruce has been reminding us that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So it seems particularly difficult to plug in these verses here with all the other contextual evidence surrounding them. So what do we do? Well, what we normally do with these verses is we just remove them from their context and we use them however we want to support our governmental opinions. These verses have been used by Martin Luther to sanction the killing of peasants and Hitler to advocate the killing of Jews. They were used to support apartheid in South Africa and slavery in America. And they were, they were somehow managed to be used by both sides of the American Revolution. And most recently, they were used to quell complaints about children being removed from their parents at America's southern border. They have systematically been used to hurt and oppress people with no regard to the verse following following right behind them on the page, Oh, no one anything but to love each other. Or the ones right before commanding us to bless our enemies and to live at peace with all and to never seek revenge. And so, so I say all of this as a way of, of introduction as we wade into this difficult passage of scripture. I'm going to try to help us think through this passage in light of its context. And as we move with humility through the text, we'll pray that God will give us understanding of how we ought to live in relationship to him, each other, and the government. It seems like it'd be helpful to begin this look at Romans 13 by considering what Paul is saying to the government, both the government of Rome under Nero at the time and our own government in America and and, and truly any authority structures in our life. Because while we are all under authority, many of us are in positions of authority as well. And on first blush, this passage may seem to be a full-scale endorsement of governing authorities, but I think as we read a bit deeper and with more context, we'll see it to be, well, a full-scale critique of them. Specifically, it's a critique of the government of the time of its writing, which was that oppressive rule of Nero. So what does our passage say to the government? We'll hear three things. 
First, Paul says to all in authority, you were put in place by God and you have no real authority of your own. We always read that first verse and think exclusively about what it seems to be saying to us, which which may or may not be confrontational. But when we examine what it's saying to the government, it is definitely confrontational, especially when we consider the authoritarian government of the time in which it was written. The emperor of Rome believed his reign came from no one but himself. It was his greatness that should be worshipped throughout the empire. But the testimony of Paul is very different. From the very outset, Paul undermines the self-appointed divine authority of Rome. He says, all authority is rooted in the God of Jesus Christ, the very God that Rome rejects. Thus, thus the proper sovereign and Lord of the nations is not the emperor, but the Lord Jesus Christ, whom Paul proclaims. So this verse becomes less a command to obedience and more a reordering of the hierarchy of government. Paul is saying that submission to governmental authorities is not an expression of, res- of respect for the authorities themselves, but for the crucified and risen deity that stands behind them. And this makes perfect sense. Because in the chapter just ahead, Paul told us to not be conformed to this age but to be to be transformed into this radically different type of person whose mind has been renewed by God. And so so he presents then this strong challenge to those in positions of government or or really in any place of authority and he says you are placed in your position by God himself. And and just to be clear that doesn't mean anything good about you. Just a few chapters earlier in this letter, Paul reminds us of the Exodus and what God said of Pharaoh. God explains that he placed Pharaoh on the throne for the purpose of demonstrating his power against him as he delivered from the oppression he was sure to bring. And certainly, Pharaoh is not the only example in scripture or in history that demonstrates that being divinely placed on the throne does not mean that your rule is divine. So the first thing Paul says to the rulers is, don't think that you're in charge, because everything you have was given you by God. That's how government officials exist. But then Paul moves to explain why they exist. To governments everywhere, our passage says, you exist to defend good and to punish bad. Right, That's exactly what verses 3 and 4 say. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who cries, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Again, we would be helped to read this not only for what it says to us, but for what it says to the government as well. The reason God would allow and even place people into positions of leadership is so they would defend good and punish evil. That's their purpose. 
but but what is the definition of good and evil? And this is where Paul again challenges the rulers of his day and and of our day as well. In the verses that follow, Paul defines good as the law of love expressed to everyone. Look at verses 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, on the one hand, Paul is talking to each of us as individuals, but it's not incidental that this comes right alongside the conversation about governing authorities. Paul says that the government's primary policy should be a policy of love for one another. And he identifies four of the Ten Commandments, the prohibitions against adultery, murder, theft, and, and covetousness or, or greed. Why? Why choose those four? Well, I think it's because Paul and, and, and all of his readers would not have been able to identify a time when the imperial rule was not rooted in, not based on sexual immorality, murder, theft, and greed. And perhaps we can identify those attributes in our leaders today. The point is clear and confrontational. Our governments are not to be based on taking, but on giving. The government exists to protect, not to kill. And that that same point is clear to us as well. We are to live lives of not, live lives of giving, not taking. And, and as if to make the point even more clear, in the next paragraph, he gets even more specific in, in calling out the sins of the empire and the emperor. Right, so look at verses 12 and 13. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. He says to the Christians in Rome, Don't mimic the empire in the life of excess filled with sexual license and violence and insatiable consumption. Instead, put on Christ. Mimic your true king. He tells the government how they exist. He tells them why they exist. They exist because of God and they exist to defend good. But then he tells them that they will not last forever. Now, this one would have been perhaps harder for the government to see, but to the Christians reading, it is clear. In verse 11, he says this, Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation is near. But salvation from what? Or, 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 or to what, perhaps? 
Well, if you've been reading the rest of the book of Romans or, or even more so the rest of the Bible, you would know that this salvation is the promised and coming kingdom of God, which will overthrow all who stand in opposition. It is salvation from oppressive rulers and empires of darkness and salvation to the light of the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. And that's why he tells them in verse 12 to take off the works of darkness that clothe their earthly kingdom and put on the armor of light, which, which as he tells us in verse 14, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says to the government, your time is almost up. Your, your kingdom is coming to an end. You were put in place by God and you will be dethroned by God as well. Right, as the prophet Daniel tells us, God both sets up and removes kings. So as we strive to, to understand our role as those in submission to authority, it's also important for us to think about our roles as those in positions of authority as well. Am I rightly recognizing that any authority I have is from God? And that I'm to use it to defend good because it will not last forever. Now, Paul is speaking particularly about government authorities, but I think it's a fair application for us to consider those questions in all positions of power. But let's, let's move back through the passage and examine it from the other direction. How am I supposed to live in relationship with God? others, and the government or authorities. And because we're going to work through them in that order, we'll start at the end of the chapter and work our way back up. So let's re-examine verses 11 to 14 with an eye towards our personal relationship with God. How am I supposed to live in relationship with God? We'll look at 11 to 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul tells us to live in complete submission to God. Because he is soon fully bringing salvation. And we have to be living in light of that reality. It's the same command as the chapter before with slightly different wording. In chapter 12, he tells us to not be conformed to the image of the age, but to be sacrificially transformed by God. And here he tells us to cast off the works of darkness and to guard ourselves with the light of Christ. To put on the armor of light that is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and do you see how much of Christ you're supposed to put on? Or, or perhaps how much of not Christ you're to allow? He says, make no provision for the flesh. 
That is, give no room for anything other than Christ. Full and complete submission to God with no room for darkness. Light and darkness are are illustrations for God and evil all throughout the Bible, and certainly here as well. God is called the, the Father of lights. Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. And even more than that, we're told that when the light of Christ came into darkness, the darkness could not overcome it. So Paul here is pointing us forward to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom that we are truly citizens of. And he's telling us to live fully and completely as citizens of that kingdom, to bring that kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And to live that way with full assurance that God will fully soon bring that kingdom to a reality here on earth. Now we have to remember that Paul here is, he's writing this letter to the church in Rome. That is, he's writing it to Christians. He's writing to those who have already pledged their complete allegiance to God. But you may be here and and thinking this whole kingdom of God thing sounds a little weird. And, and maybe it is a little weird, but, but it's also the, the truth of scripture that we as Christians believe. We believe that God is saving for himself a people, a holy nation for his own possession. And this kingdom will be made up from every nation, tribe, and tongue the world over. God is saving this multi-ethnic kingdom for himself. Not based on the righteousness of these people, but based on his infinite grace. So Jesus' first words recorded in the Gospel of Mark are, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, was speaking words of kingdom. His kingdom, in contrast and opposition to the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world will all fall, but as we're told in Hebrews 12, the kingdom of God not only will not fall, but it will never even be shaken. And how are we accepted into this kingdom of God? Jesus says, repent. Repent and believe the gospel. That is, turn your allegiance from this world and give your allegiance fully to God. Repent and believe in the King of Kings, Jesus himself. Right, But Paul here is writing to those who've already professed Christ. And he's saying, live in full submission to God. And with complete love for others. This is what verses 8 to 10 get at. Here's what they say again. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. How do you live in relationship with other people? You love them. You love them continually. 
When it says, owe no one anything except to love each other, his point isn't that you should hold back love so that you'll owe it. His point is that no matter how much you give, you will always owe more. Our lives should be lived with complete love for others. A love, a true love. And true love is always sacrificial. Right? Our example in love is Jesus who laid himself down for those he loved. But he laid himself down for those who were his enemies. And in the same way, we're called to live with complete love for others, even for our enemies, even for those who we believe will do us harm. We're called to love. And notice what he says, all the commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But the book of Ephesians helps us understand how to apply these commandments to our lives. In Ephesians 4.28, it rounds out the fullness of the command, you shall not steal. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you see how it gives layers to obedience here? You shall not steal, but but instead you should do honest work. But why? So that instead of stealing, you can give to those in need. The command to not steal is also a command towards generous giving to support those in need. And there's the same richness to all of these commands. You shall not murder, but in fact you should fight to preserve and enrich the lives of others. And we could go on and on with all the commands. What it means to love fully is not only to not do harm, but also to do good. The kingdom of God is a radical kingdom that calls us to live in full submission to God and with complete love of others. That submission to God and that love for others are the fundamental values of the kingdom of God. The other way we see these communicated in scripture is as the two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. But when we are serving God's kingdom's values, it will sometimes affect our service of the values of the world's kingdom. For instance, there was a time when many people believed that what it meant to be an America, to be an American was almost indivisibly connected to what it meant to be a Christian. And we can argue about whether that was a fair assessment then, but either way, it is clear that we live in a time now where the vision of the church and the direction of the country are no longer in alignment. And while there may be many negative things about this, the positive is that the church has been provided an opportunity to make clear our allegiance to God over state. Not by political rancor, but by lives lived out of love for others. Lives lived with a Christ-like abandonment of self in pursuit of caring for the least of these. Lives that have left behind the deeds of darkness and immorality and been clothed in Christ. So how are we to live then? 
in relationship with the government. Well, our passage seems to be saying that as much as you are able, live in submission to them. Live in full submission to God and complete love of others. And as much as you are able, submit to the government. As much as you are able, or the way Paul puts it in chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, as much as you are able, which which will be quite a bit if the governing authorities over you are recognizing God's authority as well and defending good and punishing evil as they're called to do, which is the system that Paul is with, with hope envisioning in the first seven verses of this chapter. So what do we do when the direction or, or the commands of our authorities stand in contradiction to our full submission to God or our complete love of others. What do we do? Well, we look with, with eyes wide open into the persecution that will no doubt follow. And we say with Peter and John, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. But we will obey God rather than man. With, with full confidence, we say alongside Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our God is able to deliver us out of your hand. But even if he doesn't, we will not serve your gods. We look into the face of those who would force us to go against God, and we remember the words of Jesus from Matthew 10. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And we walk in full submission to God and in complete love of others. But we also pray. We pray that we would be able to live at peace with all people. We pray for our leaders to be wise and humble in the sight of God. We pray for laws that will truly defend good and punish evil, but also laws that would be gracious and kind to those who offend so that they may see even in our leaders the character of our God. A God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. A God who is forgiving and just at the same time. Live in full submission to God and complete love of others. Always pray for. And as much as you are able, submit to the government. Let's pray to that end even now. Our sovereign God, we are thankful for you and for your kingdom. And we praise you because your kingdom will never end. It will never even be shaken. Lord, help us to truly and fully submit every aspect of our lives into your loving hands. We pray that that you would help us to trust that your way is always best. 
Lord, give us the strength to love others, even those who would seek to do us harm. Help us to willingly lay down our lives for others, even as you laid down yours for us. We pray that you would give give wisdom as we relate to those in authority over us. And Lord, we pray for those in authority, especially for those in the government. We pray for President Trump and for, for all who serve in the Congress and the courts of our nation. We pray that you'd give them wisdom to serve well. Lord, we pray that they would enact laws that align with your justice and demonstrate your mercy. We pray that they would be bold enough to do what is right, whether it's politically expedient or not. And Lord, we pray for any of them who don't know you and your grace, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would be saved. And Lord, we ask that for more than just them. But Lord, would you be drawing all sorts of people to yourself, even even today, that your kingdom may grow and your glory may be seen. In Christ's name, amen.